A big thank you to all the companies that are helping support the Real Rescue Podcast. SR3 Rescue Concepts, Life Saving Systems Corporation, Breeze Eastern, and Flipping Coffee. If you've not sent these companies an email, you absolutely need to. You wanna know why? Well, it's because they all work together. When you email them, they will absolutely set you up for success. All of them have a great working relationship with each other. For helicopter training, contact SR3. For hoist information, contact Breeze Eastern. For rescue equipment, contact LSC. And for a great cup of coffee, contact Flipping Coffee. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. They are a training company that can help your training program with standards, safety, and maybe just an FAA refresher. They are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is awesome. With certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew members that offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, and ground operations. SR3 has partnered with Petzl to assist with any personal protective equipment inspection courses and the highly specific Lazard, which is used for helicopter cliff and mountain rescue. In addition to that, if you listen to our episode with Hans and Alvin, episode 10, and they used it on a boat rescue, which was amazing. So contact them today, sr3rescueconcepts.com. That's sr3rescueconcepts.com. Or see them over on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. Then we have Life Saving Systems Corporation, who manufactures the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From their Triton harness, which is my favorite rescueman harness, to the rescue basket, litters, and of course the most popular hoist hook in helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSC cuts, bends, welds, and machines these products into existence every day. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC, tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at rescuegear. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. Breeze Easton. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuer operations and those rescued has not. Contact Breeze today by visiting breeze-eastern.com. That's breeze-eastern.com. Then we have Flipping Coffee. At Flipping Coffee, we roast each batch to perfection to bring a smooth, delicious cup of coffee that you won't find in most other brands. We like to keep it simple, brewing real coffee, using real ingredients for real coffee drinkers. Contact them today at flippincoffee.com to order your bag of freshly roasted coffee beans. As a bonus, you type in the promo code, all capital letters, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q, and you get 10% off. Thank you to all of our sponsors who are helping make this podcast grow. It's much appreciated. So you're looking for a trip to go to Orlando, Florida, maybe to go to Disney World, maybe to go to Universal Studios. Well, in that area, if you go hiking or go out and about, 
You know what? You are covered because you got these guys on standby. It is the Seminole County Sheriff's Department. Those guys are working with the fire departments in the local area to complete search and rescue. It's awesome. What these guys do is insane. And their area of responsibility is ridiculous. The fact of the matter is, if you look at a map and you're looking at Orlando, Florida, the closest air assets is Tampa, Florida, which is clear water, uh, which is the U.S. Coast Guard over there. And that's 100 miles away, 160 nautical miles. Then the other side of it, and which Tampa, by the way, is on the West Coast. But then on the other side, you have uh, on the East Coast, you've got Miami, Florida, which is 140 miles away, 386 kilometers. So it's going to take some time for those guys to come up. Whereas the Seminole County boys... Man, they are right there. They're literally flying right out of the Orlando uh, International Airport. It's awesome. So these guys come with a great story. It's Mr. Dan Antle and John Valentino. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Real Rescue Podcast. I've got some killer guys with me today coming to us from Seminole County, Florida, the Sheriff's Department down there, Mr. Dan Antle and Mr. John Valentino. What's up, fellas? How's it going? How you doing? Well, thank you guys for coming on to the Real Rescue Podcast with me. I really, really appreciate it. So, Thanks for having us. Absolutely. A um, little backstory about uh, about some of us. I, I get to go down and train with you guys. Uh, God, it's been a couple of years now, um, but man, it was such a good time for me. It was my first experience on an A-star, like hoisting in and out of an A-star. And I, I was so impressed at what you guys do with that A-star. Man, Dan Kinsetti and I, uh, who was down there with me, we still talk about that today. It was so fun. What You guys are such a great group of guys. And the mission that you guys have in particular, which I, I find very interesting, is like you have your uh, pilots and your air crew, which is part of the sheriff's department. And then you had your rescue guys, which is the fire department there in the area. And you basically get launched out. You go land in the parking lot of the fire uh, or the fire truck guys or the, the firefighter guys. And you say, Hey, get in. And they grab their gear and they jump in the helicopter. And then you guys take off together. Is that pretty accurate? No, yeah, that's absolutely accurate. Yeah. That's, that's exactly how we train. And, uh, and we're set up, uh, even through our group chats and stuff just to see who's available and where we got to fly to pick them up. <laughs> Dude, that is awesome, man. Joint venture for both departments coming together as one for straight up rescue that's killer good for you guys um Appreciate but it. without that let me or with that let me let me introduce mr dan dan tell me about yourself where you're from and how you got into search and rescue oh i'm in uh I'm in orlando of course in that area um i started as a deputy sheriff uh, on road patrol in uh, 2013 in february and picked up the uh part-time uh TFO, tactical flight officer, uh, spot out at aviation, uh, July of 2014. 
and got lucky enough to get a full-time spot as a TFO in uh, November 2017 and started crew, crew chief uh, training for the hoist operations um, shortly after that. Nice. Uh, well, that was quick and easy. Yeah, quick and nothing, easy. No, nothing else? You're going to just leave me hanging with that a little bit? <laughs> well, I mean, I did some other stuff on the road, but nothing, you know, cool. Like, uh, well, I've just, you know, recently went and got my private pilot, hopefully uh, work my way up into the commercial pilot and maybe get to uh, do the pilot gig out here one day. Yeah. That's, that's the hopes and dreams. Nice. Nice. So when I, when I want to ride, I just call you. Is that, like, I mean, can we go jump out of Cessna together? Uh, that sounds like fun. All right. <laughs> I don't think you'll fit. What are you like? Six, six, five, six, 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 four. Come on. <laughs> You're not going to be very comfortable in that Cessna. That's all right. That's why you're jumping out of it. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. It's Just go low and slow. <laughs> uh, uh, Mr. John, tell, tell me about yourself and or everybody else about yourself. Where are you? All right. Um, I got hired here with Seminole County Sheriff's Office back in 2007. I was a uh, patrol. And like my father and my grandfather, we all uh, wanted to get into the aviation realm. So I decided to, to put in for the flight officer program here at the Sheriff's Office. I was a flight officer for about three or four years and worked for my private license and my commercial license and took over when one of our pilots retired about 2015-ish. And uh, while here, I worked my way up through the, uh, the experience levels that are required to do uh, hoist work, bucket work, SWAT work. And uh, I remember training with you and a couple of the guys from Priority One. And that was my first kind of real big taste of the hoist rescue program, which was awesome. And uh, since then, I've added a, a CFI to my belt so I can teach Dan here how to fly yes. uh, while on shift. So it's, uh, we like to pay it forward. Oh, I got, good I got for great you. opportunities here. So I like to pass it along to the next guys coming up behind us, man. Congratulations. That's awesome. Um, just, uh, I, I have my own couple questions here. You said bucket training is like yes. firefighting, firefighting. Yes. We Sweet. do firefighting work as well. Yep. Bambi so, bucket operations. Bambi bucket. That's what I was getting to. And that is, so there's, there's two types of firefighting when it comes to helicopter stuff. And there's a, the belly tank, which sits underneath the belly of the aircraft. Uh, and a lot of those, if they have wheels, then they'll have extended wheels with extended struts. If they skids, sometimes they've got extended skids to put that belly tank underneath. And then they have the Bambi bucket. And then the Bambi bucket, if you could do me a favor, just, I, again, I'm not a pilot, uh, nor am I a firefighter, but it's pretty cut and dry. You guys are dropping down, drop that bucket in, and it's it's a scoop and go. Is that right? Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, we find the water source here in Florida. It's not really that big of a problem finding water. You, you, you hook up the bucket underneath the belly. Uh, you do a few little checks. You take off. You find your water source. You pick up the water. You go over to the fire and it bombs away. Nice. Do you ever pick yeah. up any alligators or... Come close. <laughs> Come very close. Uh, I was doing some practice here at the uh, at the airport. And I look down out of my chin bubble and I see a small, probably about a three, maybe four foot gator swimming close to the bucket. So I figured, you know what, next, next go around, I'm going to move somewhere else just in case. But what's, the worst, what's the worst thing that happen if a gator got in there? I mean, really, you know what? Don't answer that. Don't answer well, that. Well, you know what? It's, you know what? It's not my problem because then I land and I call him over and be like, hey, can you unhook the bucket for me? And while you're down there, watch out for the gator. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is so awesome. 
gonna go hard pass on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I got, uh, I got this thing that I got to take care of. I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh my goodness, gosh. Uh, well, thank you for the introduction, you guys. Uh, so, Dan, you've been doing this for a little while. What, is, what was your very first case that you got called out to on as a hoist operator, or actually even before that, if you had another SAR rescue, search and rescue case that you were called out on? Uh, I mean, well, we get we get called out for lost hikers and stuff all the time, but really the the first real one that I considered was, you know, our first rescue with uh, a suicidal subject that uh, just shortly after the COVID quarantine. So this um, is the one that we're actually going to get into today, huh? Yes, sir. That was your first rescue? Yes, sir. Oh, man. And I'm not really a sir. I'm just I'm just one of the boys. All right. Oh, so, I get you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, habits. Yeah, it's all good. I just, you know, make sure, you know, we're on the same page here. Uh, all right. Look, <laughs> we're going to come back to that one because that's, that's a big reason why you guys came on. And I'm very excited to hear this story. Um, John, what about you? You've been, you've been flying for a little while. What was your first rescue? Uh, I don't remember exactly the first one, but I do have one that was memorable. This was pre, um, this was pre uh, hoist rescue operations. We had a, a lost hiker as a female. Uh, an older female, she went out into the woods for a bike ride and a trail behind her neighborhood. And uh, the husband called and said he hadn't seen his wife or heard from his wife for about four or five hours and that she went on this trail and she's she's used to going out there and he, she's had no problem before. Well, we get the call to go out there and we start flying around, we start flying around. And at the time I was working with a different TFO. So I said, you know what? Hey, let's pull up the PA system and start making announcements. Maybe she'll hear it. And because uh, it a was good dark. Idea. Yeah, That's a, that, oh, I got to pause real. That's a really good idea. Um, so for the PA system, that's just a big loudspeaker that's on the bottom of the aircraft. Correct. And you're just calling out to her, to, like kind of with hopes that, that she'll hear you. Exactly. Yeah, we, we made a few announcements. Uh, we got her name through our dispatch. So that way we we're specific to her. Uh, I don't remember her name, so we'll call her Susan. So we got on the PA, said, you know, hey, Susan, this is Seminole County Sheriff's Office. If you hear our voice try to go to an open area, try to produce any light source that you can produce and shine it up towards the helicopter. Uh, and at the time, uh, it, again, it was evening time and it was summertime. So our thermal camera has its limitations sometimes in the heat. Yep. Um, so when we were looking around, we couldn't find anything. Everything kind of blended together. So we started making the PA announcements. And at some point, she was able to start a fire. And by wow. starting that fire, producing that fire gave us enough light that I could see with the NVGs. And uh, we located her. And from there, we gave the GPS coordinates to our ground units. And uh, they ended up, we ended up guiding them into her. Uh, and a quick funny story about this one was, is as the units were coming in, they made contact with her. They were actually kind of getting lost in there because it was a very thick wilderness area. Yeah. So what we normally do is we'll throw our spotlight on and kind of guide their path out. And it's the one time you ever hear from anybody that it's okay to follow the light. So <laughs> they started, we started tracking the, oh, that's uh, great. we started tracing the, uh, the pathway out of there. And at some point, unfortunately, our light bulb burnt out. So no. uh, they were kind of on their own, you know, Murphy's law kicks in. So they were kind of on their own, but we got them to a good point where they kind of knew where to go from there. Uh, but that was my first really memorable uh, search and rescue kind of uh, call. That was kind of interesting, kind of out of the norm. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. And there is a news article about that, just FYI. I'll have to, I have to send it to you. Do you know what, uh, what happened to her? 
Well, she went out for a bike ride. Uh, she went out. I don't remember if it was during the daylight savings switch time or whatever, but I guess she lost track of time, got lost out there and she didn't have her phone with her. And uh, so she ended up because it went dark. She got lost, just kind of turned around on the trails. And just so happened, had a way to start a fire. Yep. Man, she, started, she lit a uh, she lit a dry palm palm frond uh, on fire and started waving it up in there and uh, drew our attention real quick because that part of our county where she was at is very rural. So very limited street lights, very limited uh, ambient light. So it, it, like I said, it made it very difficult um, to locate. Wow. Man, it's smart on her. I, I love the PA system idea. Gosh, I, I hadn't really even thought of that. Um, that's brilliant. Like, yeah. well done, sir. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Man, I'll, I'll check that life saved. Excellent. <laughs> Well now, all right, so now we are really gonna get into, um, Dan, your your first case, which is uh, one of the reasons you guys are here talking to me right now, which I'm excited about. So, um, you know, for everybody out there, I, I'm gonna say this again, I've said it before, but I'm, I'm gonna say it again. There are cases that we go out and do, we are not looking for recognition. We're not looking for the pat on the back. We're not looking for the award. If they come, we're humbled and we're thankful for them. Uh, and this is one of those cases where you guys went out and the, there is no article. There is no, you know, um, no award. It was, you guys did a good job and see you tomorrow for duty. That's exactly it. Well, well I'll tell you what, run me through it, man. What, what happened? What was the call? Um, so we end up coming in in the morning and we work 12 hour shifts come in at uh, 5 30 in the morning and debrief with the um offgoing crew and they had a uh, missing person call and it was related to a suicide uh, or suicide attempt at the time um it was shortly after the uh quarantine for covid so it was literally the beginning of april we get, a, uh, they tell us, you know, he went out he's possibly, you know, suicidal, um, was depressed. So they went and searched for him, uh, for a little while the uh, night before, um, our guys went up, searched in, in the same area of woods really that, uh, we we're just talking about earlier where it's just really dark, really thick, very hard to see through, um, even with the FLIR camera and, um, they couldn't find him initially. So uh, the next morning, the, the wife actually went out and was out on some trails on the other side of the river from where we were told initially to search. And she ends up finding him under some palm fronds. Um, of course, there's blood present and everything, and, and it was an obvious attempt. Um, so she calls up, calls 911. We get the coordinates right off of that. Uh, so we're like, John and I here and we're like, this, this sounds like something that's going to be a hoist, at least to get, you know, a medic to him quickly. Cause nice. where they're at, it's not easy access. So, you know, we, we already have our helicopters prepped and ready. So it was literally just find a medic and find where they're at and go pick them up. So, and, and real quick, when you're talking medic, are you talking the firefighters or is it the, uh, another set of paramedics? The firefighters. So yeah, the, okay. the way we operate here in Seminole County is, is we have two firefighting uh, divisions that work with us. We have the county 
FD yep. and we have the city of Sanford fire department. And the reason why we chose Sanford is our operation, our base operation is here in Sanford, the city limits. So we wanted to be able to have access to anybody in the county surrounding areas, depending on where that call might come from. We kind of have the FD guys spread out. Yep. And then if a call comes up and we need immediate access to a rescuer, we've got a couple Sanford guys we can pick up almost within two minutes. Wow. Um, so that's kind of how our operation works when it comes to grabbing a medic. So we train with them regularly. Um, we train quarterly as a unit, but we also train individually, if you will, as part of a shift. So each shift kind of gravitates to one or two of those guys, brings them in for a weekend time or during the week, whenever they're off, and we'll run uh, uh, hoist evolutions for training and run kind of different scenarios. What if we had something like this? What if we had something like that? Awesome. And, uh, and run them through the gamut. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. So keep going. I just wanted to make sure I was clear on that. Oh, yeah. So you, no, no you pick up, so you guys land, you grab a medic. Yeah. So we, uh, we have a, a group text that, that has all our medics and we see who's available right away where they're at. So, you know, we'll try and pick and choose if there's multiple in this case, like we had one literally on the flight path to where we needed to go. Oh, beautiful. So, yeah, we landed at the uh, we landed at the the fire department training center where he was located, and he was all dressed, ready to go. All we had to do is grab the gear out of the luggage compartment, throw it in the uh, the back of the A star, and we're prepping on the flight out there. We literally put the coordinates in from the nine one one call into our mapping program and threw it right up on the Garmin, and and John literally just flew straight to the coordinates and. We ended up finding uh, the wife was wife came out to a little clearing and was waving us down. We found them probably within, I'd say within the minute, like yeah. within a minute, maybe two tops. So, yeah. you know, shortly after that, you know, we're just sitting there working through the uh, finding an insertion area that we were going to use that was close by because, again, really thick woods, lots of uh, trees, palm fronds, pretty thick. Uh, it was hard to even see like where he was um, just looking out of the aircraft, you know, sitting at probably what, 60 feet, maybe yeah, 60, 80 feet, 60, somewhere, 80 in feet somewhere in there. Nice. It was really yeah. hard to see him. Um, so we picked our insertion area, worked our way through the checklist and then, uh, you know, put the, put the medic out the door to go and assess him. Um, so, you know, we got him, got him to the ground, got him to the uh, patient and, you know, he started doing the field dressing uh, right then. And in the meantime, we ended up flying off and we're trying to get the other ground units to that location. And just as we put our, um, our medic down, the law enforcement just happened to make it over there. And they had to cut through, uh, they had to cross a river, went waist deep or a little bit more. I know they said that they submerged their gun belts and stuff getting to this person. Wow. So, you know, they were trying to get to him as quickly as possible and they showed up just as we got there. Um, so now we're trying to figure out how we can get an extraction team over to him. Like the, the fire department had a uh, off-road um, ATV type of thing that they okay. use for patient extractions on the trails. And we're trying to figure out a way to get him across, but it's it's river all around there so we're really kind of curious how he got back there to begin with but nonetheless we're trying to work with the fd we're trying to work with law enforcement on the radios and then of course we're dealing with you know our medic um who's actually with the patient so 
you know, at that point after he, you know, he went and assessed, uh, the the injuries and what we really needed to do he made the call straight that we needed to hoist him out and get him to uh get him to the medics like asap so we notified everybody that was on the radio that we could hey this is going to be a hoist we need you guys to set up a landing zone nearby get an ambulance over there and they worked on that for us and set up a landing zone at a local high school a couple miles away wow nice so while they were doing that, we went back and uh, we went and extracted the, uh, we did a tandem extraction with that, um, the ambulatory uh, victim extraction device. Yep, the AVED, nice. Yes, sir. Um, so we, we did a tandem extraction with uh, the patient and the medic and went straight over to, the, uh, to a high school field, landed and the ambulance was just pulling up as we got there. So they pulled him out, you know, started working uh, whatever they needed to work on him and uh, got him off to the hospital as a, uh, they called it a uh, trauma alert. So they had to take him to a, an actual uh, trauma center. Wow. But, you know, when we pulled him up, he had, you know, two fairly large lacerations to the neck and um, he had a dressed wound already on his uh, arm that uh, the medic already took care of. Nice. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty gnarly and, you know, he, he survived and was very thankful, uh, after the fact they said, whenever he was talking at the hospital, he was very thankful for us coming mm -hmm. out there. Wow, man, guys, that, that's, that's awesome. Good job. Yeah, appreciate it. Holy cow. That's, that's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. Um, you said there were a couple of lessons learned that you guys got out of that case too. Yeah. You know, and we've learned this from a couple of our rescues that we've had. Um, one's communication. It's always going to be communication. And what Daniel and I've worked together now for what, three plus years, maybe yeah, give or take. That, and uh, so we're very comfortable. We, we know each other's strengths. We know each other's weaknesses. And, and with the workload that goes on with a rescue, we know there's a lot going on. Um, he, he's working in the back. I'm, I'm flying. And we've learned that, you know, he handles one set of radios. I handle another set of radios if time permits and, and, and workload permits. But communication always seems to be a major um, bump in the road, if you will, yeah. as far as kind of getting the, the FD on the same page. Now, what we do here in Seminole County, which goes along with this rescue, is, is that we notify um, our dispatch to let them know we're en route to the call. And the FD usually sometimes will request us to say, hey, can we get you know our alert, which is our aircraft alert, um, to respond. So when we respond, we kind of gauge what we're doing and what we can do to help. And then the FD is kind of doing their own thing on the side. And okay. what we've learned is, is that communications between our FD medic when he goes down and trans translating it over to the FD side dispatch and the command post, if you will, sometimes there's a little miscommunication and or they feel that um, we might be we might be taking something away from them. And, and I'm not I'm not I'm not. I, I know I what you're saying. For. No, I, I know what you're saying. We don't want to step on their toes, but at yeah. the same token, we also, we also care about the patient. You know, yeah. That's our yeah. first and foremost. We care about the patient. So, you know, we determine, okay, well, if the ground units get to them and they throw them on the back of an ATV, what's that ride going to be like? And is that going to 
exacerbate the more more injury exactly so with our fd guy down there dealing with the patient you know he's kind of making the decisions a little bit and for this particular one kind of they what was interesting about this one was is we're on scene we hoisted down our rescue swimmer and fd is calling us and asking us how to guide them into it and you know we're constantly telling hey guys stand by we'll get to you in a second we've we're lowering our our rescue swimmer and so there was a little bit of delay and uh, response on their side a little bit of a delay in us helping them because we were dealing with the the, the rest we were going down so Got again it. like communications and working together um not that we don't have any working issues with the fd it just that particular one was very unique every scenario is going to be unique but that one was a little unique because they had to cross a river they had to yeah. find a vehicle across the river um we had a patient that clearly had some open open wound lacerations uh, we were concerned about blood loss. We were concerned about the time period he was out there. Um, it was a little bit cooler, so they were concerned about hypothermia. Um, so there was a whole lot of factors going on. So in this particular call, you know, like I said, communications, communications and understanding the severity of what was going on and allowing us to do the job that we've trained. Wow. And once they recognized that, yeah, this is a good call, let's get the hoist, let's get the, the, the hoist rescue operation uh, started and let's go. And uh, once we picked them up, we, uh, you know, once we got the patient on board with the rescue swimmer, the medic, they're working on him in the back. I'm finding the, the location for the landing site. And, uh, you know, we land. And then once we land, we shut down, let the FD guys pull up the ambulance and do their thing. Oh, that's brilliant. So that that teamwork right there with the different agencies, I totally understand the difference in radio comms. Um, you know, do you guys have the same frequency in radio comms with the trucks, uh, the fire department trucks as the yes. guy? Okay. So that's, that's yeah. beautiful as well. Cause I've been to agencies that, that it's, you're not on the same frequency. You're not using the same radio communication. Uh, you know, some dudes using a handheld VHF and then other guys are using something totally different. And you, there is like almost no way to communicate with each other. Unless next thing you know, you're sending a text message from the, the cockpit and be like, dude, go to your right. They're like, Oh yeah. yeah. That was, that was a huge, uh, that was a huge learned lesson for us was the communications on that. Moreover the radios, cause everybody wanted a piece of this and you know, from the law enforcement side, they're asking questions that, you know, we're like, Hey, we're in the middle of a rescue We're We'll get to you when we get to you. But you know, they're invested in it too, because here it is that it's, you know, a missing endangered person, you know, that was a, you know, attempted suicide on to, on top of it now being a medical call. So FD is involved. So they're on a different radio channel. Yeah. Um, and then we are running a, a radio channel on the VHF with the uh, rescue swimmer, the medic on the ground. So we're running three radios simultaneously and, and trying to work through them the best that we can um, and trying to relay the information that the, the rescue swimmer has given us to, to pass on to the fire department and trying to get the fire department on the same page with what's going on during our rescue and what we need from them and what they need to, to be able to um, handle the patient once we land. Yeah. Plus, John, you're, you're shooting. Uh, I mean, you got to talk to other aircrafts, uh, airports, you know, all your... Well, Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully for this one, we were out of the airspace. So I didn't have to deal oh, with good. air traffic or ATC or anything like that. But one of the other things, as far as the lesson learned here was not only was communication, uh, you know, a, a lesson learned as far as 
understanding what's going on, all the, all the elements coming together, working as a team, as one cohesive unit. The other thing that we learned with this was, is, you know, we're operating 60 to 80 feet. We're already in a, in a dangerous uh, flight profile uh, if there was an emergency. So we learned from this point where we're in law enforcement, we do what's called taking traffic. That means the radio is ours. Nobody talks. Everybody just listens. Okay. And what we learned with this one is that, you know, with the law enforcement guys talking to us, the fire department guys talking to us and our rescue guy talking to us, we got with our FD afterwards and said, hey, what do you guys call it when one of your FD or one of your firemen has an emergency and they need radio silence? And they gave us the phrase, um, uh, basically, just say over the radio, because FD usually does plain talk. They just said, give us the channel. And that basically lets everybody know we're busy doing something. We don't want anybody talking because we're focused on the, the job at hand. Yeah. And if something were to come up, we have a free radio to say whatever that issue might be. Um, because during the hoist operation, from the moment we started lowering the rescue swimmer down to the moment we started picking them up, you had multiple different uh, uh entities asking for information right and right. because of that we learned okay next time we have a rescue like this radio silence yeah. we'll let you know we'll say as soon as the rescuer is going down radio silence we're going to do our thing once everything is safe and good to go we'll come up on radio and let you know radio's clear nice man good good lesson learned and and because you don't want to be rolling on the radio shut the beep up <laughs> Exactly, that, exactly. That doesn't, that doesn't actually go over well because then other people that are higher than you get involved and you know there's a lot of paperwork when it comes to swearing over there oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well and you know we learned we learned a lot through it um you know it was it was really trying and, and hearing all those radios going simultaneously while you're trying to operate the hoist at the same time you know it's it's a little cumbersome and yeah uh, i told john straight up i'm like hey man I can't answer them on the radio. Um, I'm a little busy right now. So, so and, you, and you, that's right. Cause clear. you have to listen to radios while you're hoisting. Like that, that's one of your jobs in the aircraft. Right. And yeah. I'm focused, like, you know, I'm sitting out the door and I'm, I'm dealing directly with my medic at the time. And, yeah. you know, the other guys they're they're going to have to wait, you know? So yeah, like our, our safety and our, focus on once that person's on the line was was the absolute priority at that moment yeah and with our aircraft we don't have precision hover we don't have an autopilot system that holds the hover for us so anytime i key up on the radio it caused me to drift so uh -huh. i i chose at that point you know what we're not going to talk we'll let them ask questions we'll get to them when we get to them but yeah right now the, the the focus at hand is making sure the rescuer gets down safely we get the hook back up in the aircraft safely once we're clear of that 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 one evolution we'll start our, our orbits around the scene and then we'll we'll let fd know hey this is what's going on well solid job gentlemen solid job that's awesome appreciate it and life saved that's killer that's good um are there any other lessons you guys learned out of that one uh, that you uh, really want to share i should say flying with it? a mask flying with it because this is again like like daniel said this was uh this was in, in the midst of the covid uh, pandemic yeah um so we were issued uh, um masks and a few other little things for the aircraft in the event we did have a patient on board and uh, we did learn that trying to talk with a microphone on our helmets with a mask on wasn't one it didn't work and two because it's not working it wasn't safe so we just kind of bit the bullet and just said, you know what, you know, masks are off and we got to do what we got to do. Uh, that is my world as well. Um, and, and Dan, you could probably 
stick with me with that one is, you know, I try to do hoisting with, uh, with a, a mask on and, and you end up cutting out so much. And now all of a sudden you've got your rescue man halfway out in an 80 foot hoist and, and you're like, uh, 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 and yeah, no, yeah. It, it ends up coming off. Um, yeah. Good to know. Good to know. It's not just me. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. The, the, the mask got uh, tossed real quick. Cause it's like, okay, you're either putting the mask or putting the, the mic under the mask and chewing on the boom as, as the mask is pushing it in your mouth. Right. Or you're putting it on the outside of the mask and it's just, you're yelling at it and it's just not yeah. clear, not clear right. communication. No. And, and you, you know, we talk about this quite a bit, especially when we get into training right off the get-go is communication is key. And if you can't have communication in the aircraft, uh, it, it doesn't work. You can't hoist or long line or fast rope or anything without some sort of communication in the aircraft. And man, well done boys. Well done. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. You guys got any other ones you want to share? Yeah, we have a, we, we got another interesting one. Um, uh, I'd say what a couple of months, like a month or so later. It was almost exactly a month later. Yeah, about a month yeah. later, we had uh, once the weather started warming up. Yeah, we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of rivers uh, and waterways that run through Seminole County. Uh, a lot of recreational boaters, jet skiers, uh, skiers, stuff like that. So we had a, a call. They just opened the boat ramps. Yeah, to after... allow people out. Nice. They yeah. just opened them. So we had a feeling it was going to be busy on the river, and sure enough, it was that day. We had a call that a group of jet skiers they had been seen earlier that that day whatever running up and down the river kind of going a little fast having a little fun you know yep. first day back out on the river so you know everybody's having a good time so just to clarify real quick this river that we're talking about is probably only about what 20 30 feet across and it's waist deep it's the same one oh. that they crossed um just probably what about 15 miles away from the rescue that we had the first time yeah but just the opposite end, but it's only like waist deep water and only about 30 feet wide. This is where they're jet skiing at. So, <laughs> so they end up, they end up going from, they end up going from the boat ramp, uh, which is on the North end of the County, start working their way East coming South. And then they find another little, uh, uh mouth of the river that they want to explore. So this group of jet skiers were going down the river and one individual, uh, went full throttle. And at this point of the river that he got to was extremely shallow and hit a sandbar and got ejected oh, off. The no way. Um, so the, the rest of the uh, jet skiers that were with him called 911 and said, Hey, we have a, a jet ski accident. We have a, a injured patient. Um, and they basically said at some point that, you know, he's not, he can't, he can't feel his feet, can't feel his toes. Uh, so now we're sitting there thinking, okay, now we've got a true spinal injury, maybe a neck injury. Yeah. So they call us up to go out and look for him. And on this particular day, I don't, I don't remember why, um, but I, we didn't get a, a call back from our rescuers at the time. So we ended up going uh, because they couldn't locate him. So they called us up. We went to locate him. We found him. Um, we notified our FDs. And our FD, depending on where they're stationed, they're issued airboats and like John boats. So they had to deploy 15 miles, 10 miles away just to get on the river to actually get the boat inbound. And oh my gosh! It, we looked at, we looked at each other in aircraft and said, "This is going to take forever. We got to do something, especially with the well, neck injury in the water." So yeah, they the boat that they had closest actually broke down. Oh so, no! Yeah, you oh, know, to like again, make matters worse. Yeah, it's the Dang. Murphy's Law thing. Like you yeah. said, it's like it's really shallow water over there, so they're they're in some 
in the mud area and yeah they they ended up having a having a technical issue with that boat so the other boats coming and and yeah we didn't want to we didn't want too much time to go to waste on this one we opted to we we talked to each other on there and and said hey this is what i'm thinking yeah we agreed we made the the, the decision okay we're going to land on along the riverbank where the fd boat was so we land there we grabbed two of their fd guys with all their gear loaded up in the back brought them to where the patient was as close as we could get to it now i had to land this was the really neat part and i'm so i'm landing the, the hell gets daniel gets out and helps the fd guys offload he runs out with them goes to the patient to assist because we brought the pet bag or the, the avid bag yeah and uh so they're dealing with the patients so i'm holding light skids uh, on this on this riverbank for probably 10 15 minutes oh wow and uh from there again we get into the communication with the fd trying to figure out well would it be better to get the boat that is working out there and bring them back on boat and or have the aircraft uh, take the patient and bring them to another LZ where they can get them more advanced and quicker treatment. So the FD guys we were working with, they sat there and looked at the patient, assessed them. They said, no way, we're not waiting for the boat. Let's load him up. So they had all the, the two FD guys, Daniel, and a bunch of the other uh, jet skiers out there, load them up on the pet bag and then carry him over to the helicopter, throw him in the helicopter. Across the river. Yeah, they had to cross yeah, crossing the Holy river. Holy cow. Go it's the waist bank deep, bank. right? Yeah. Yeah. There was, there were six carrying that thing over. Yeah. It was, and, yeah. He, and he was, he was, a, he was a big, big gentleman, big gentleman. Um, and so we load him up in the helicopter and from there we were trying to determine where to land to get him to the closest ambulance so we can get him the care that he needs. And there was a little bit of miscommunication here and there, but for the most part, we worked through it. We solved it. Uh, we landed at a field and they made the determination to have air care, which is our local uh, air ambulance. Air ambulance. And nice. they had, uh, we coordinated with them. So they were talking, the air care, the medevac was talking to me on the comms. Daniel was talking with the FD channel primary, telling them where we're going, what we're doing. And we coordinated an LZ that was big enough for both of us to land, landed off patient, load up the patient in air care, and then they took them to the hospital. Wow. Dang. Yeah. And then we got a, we got a little bit of communication back. They, uh, they said that he had an internal decapitation is what they called it. it said basically one of his vertebrae in the, uh, um, just below his neck, uh, yeah. had actually spun 90 degrees. Oh my God. Yeah. And he had, he had no function below the nipple line. So, but it, uh, he, he sorry, he, at about 45 miles. Did you just say he, sorry, you cut out that he didn't have any feeling below the nipple line. Is that what you said? That's correct. Yeah, correct. Wow. Wow. Dang. I keep 90 degrees out. Holy cow. And, you know, with an injury like that, obviously they don't know the extent of the injury on the scene. So, you know, one of the options would have been to throw him on a boat and having to go up and down the river, windy turns, going up on the lake and get to the boat ramp. Yeah. You know, with an injury like that, obviously that's, you know, that's not going to be a, the most ideal to get them to the, uh, right. the advanced life support systems that they need. So, again, I think it was a good call by the FD guys that were there with us um, to say, you know, no, let's load them up in the helicopter. Let's get them out there. Let's get them there quick. Yeah, I think I, that was a good call. I, great call. And I'm on board with all that. You know, I, I'm all about the fastest way to get a patient from point A to the hospital. You know, that's. I mean, everybody talks like, oh, what's best for the patient? What's best for the patient? Pick them up, 
get him to the hospital. I mean, you know, do you want to take the highway or do you want to take the back roads? No, I want to get on the highway. Well, the highway is back up. Well, then we're going to take the back roads because that's the fastest route to get there. The helicopter is like you are the queen of the chessboard. You get to go in any direction for as long as you want, as long as nothing gets in your way. (laughs) So, man, nice. Good job, fellas. Man. Appreciate it. Yeah, and it it worked out, you know, it worked out well. We, you know, that was one of the things that we found. We're like, this, this doesn't necessarily require a hoist. We can, you know, accomplish it by landing close by. And it's just a a short hop across the river, but, you know, we don't have to put somebody out on the line. We can just land and, and do it that way. So well, and, and what you were just talking about earlier, because you were light on skids. So, um, you know, for everybody that's listening that doesn't understand that, light on skids is, is you know, basically, John, you're, you're touching down, but you're still pulling enough power for that lift where you're just, just down on the ground. Um, you know, some yeah. guys, they'll be in like a low hover where they're only like two, three inches off the ground. And, and you're out, so you're actually in a hover, but you're, you're right there. So you were pulling power basically the whole time for that light on wheel or light on skids landing. Correct. Yeah. The, the way the embankment was, it had a, had a degree angle that wasn't um, within limits of the aircraft. So because of that, I had to put the front of the skids on the bank and then the rear of the skids were just about hanging off. Uh, and because if I were to lower the power all the way down to, to a landing setting, yeah, we would have tilted over. So we just, and it was Sandy. And yeah. So we just, we opted, I said, Hey, here's what I'm going to do. Let me settle first. Let me see how it feels. We set the aircraft down. I light on the skids. I, I determined from here, I said, this is the best Avenue from there. We offload the FD and, and Daniel hopped out as well. And when Daniel got out, walk around real quick, just to make sure everything was good. So if I had to depart from that area, we weren't going to have any issues. Wasn't going to get stuck or anything like that. Yeah. Cause um, that so would have sucked. Definitely, uh, <laughs> yeah. Def- definitely. Definitely. Unique. Uh, a scenario situation to kind of be in as a helicopter pilot because it's either you're in the air or you're on the ground it's you don't really want to be in that middle range and yeah. uh it, it was definitely unique man yeah. solid work gentlemen gosh that's awesome well done and we did learn a very expensive uh uh learning moment at this one which was kind of funny we laughed about it later but are we allowed to talk uh, about this but i mean when you start talking oh, big yeah, money absolutely. you're like okay absolutely. just want to be, <laughs> i don't want to get you guys in trouble <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. No, what, what we learned from this one is, is that, uh, you know, when we do our rescuers, our rescues, our equipment goes with the patient, depending on what it is. So that the, the bag went with the patient, or the pet bag, or the pet bag excuse me, went yeah. with the patient. So we recognize now that we needed to do training with our local hospitals, with our ER departments and say, hey, you know, we understand that the patient is first and foremost and that you got to get them out of the, the gear, the rigging, whatever we send them in with. Um, the, the emergency room personnel ended up cutting all of our straps and oh, basically, no. basically yes. <laughs> ruined our, our pet bag. And when we got it back from the FD, we're looking at it and we're like, what happened here? There's Velcro. Why did they cut it? Uh, so <laughs> since then, since then we got with our, um, our, our chief pilot, uh, Steve Ferris, he got with the, uh, emergency room management and uh, brought them out to the hangar to show them kind of what our operation was and explain to them, hey, this is what happened to our gear. And the hospital was was very, very accommodating. They recognized uh, um, what had happened and they actually bought us a whole new um, pet bag. Nice job, hospital. So, well done. Yeah, ac- excellent. So since then we've learned that, you know, one of two things will happen. We either send our FD rescue swimmer with the patient all the yep. way to the end and see it through, 
yeah. or we've trained with our uh, hospitals and said, Hey, you know, here's the gear that's going to come with them. You know, here's how you take it off quick and easy without damaging it. So we can use it again because that, that equipment's very expensive. Right. And, you know, right. with budgets and everything, sometimes, you know, sometimes you can afford some equipment that year. Sometimes you might not be able to. And if, if we weren't unable to afford the equipment that year, now we're down to one pet bag. And yeah. both of our aircraft are rigged exactly the same way. So if we have to do multiple rescues, now we only have one piece of equipment that's uh, is available to us. Wow, man, that's a, that's a bummer. And it's nice that the hospital hooked you guys up with a new one. Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. Well, think about it like this. Now you got the uh, newest, latest, and greatest version, and you've upgraded. Thanks, hospital. That's right. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Silver exactly. Man, killer. Well, I, I'll keep going, guys. What else have you guys got? Because I love stories, man. I love talking about this stuff. I think that's, I think that pretty much touched on our good stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, every now and then, like I said, we, we'll get a, um, we'll get a call here and there for, for a, a, the search part of the search and rescue and we'll locate the patient victim or uh, individuals that are out there. But most of the time when we, when we do our evaluation of the scene, evaluation of the, the type of call, we determine is this something that's going to be hoistable um, or would it be beneficial for them to deal with that scenario on the ground and ground alone. And we'll stay above in the event something changes, but we have to determine, you know, what's the best outcome, what's the safest outcome uh, just to resolve that scenario. So, I mean, we, like I said, when the weather's nice down here in Florida, everybody goes outside, goes hiking, goes fishing, goes boating. Yeah. And uh, we just kind of, we kind of work with what we got. And uh, when it happens, we, we respond and we, we go from there. Awesome. Yeah, last guys. year, last year got to be a busy year because you know the covid the quarantine and then finally you know them releasing uh the restrictions allowing people to go out and at least do the recreational activities for exercise and whatnot so we saw a huge influx you know people going out on the waterways going out on the hiking trails and yeah you know we we got a lot of business in that uh in that short period of time just because people were taking advantage of it and and you know I did too. You know, it was a nice time to get out and get out yeah. of the house finally. And yeah. Another example, another example would be we had, uh, I think you and I were working together on this one. If it was you, other Danny, um, we had a, a biker. So again, out, out to the east of our county where it's rural, uh, we had a biker that, uh, a, gr a group of bikers that were doing a little off-road biking and, and one of the individuals, Bicycling, not yeah, bike. bicycle, um, he okay. fell off his bike and actually broke his uh, leg bone. No, oh, no, those ribs for the one that we went on. Okay, you had the, we had the ribs. There was another yes, one that did. They the, had the leg. And they did a hoist off of that, the broken leg. Yeah, this this guy ended up taking a taking a good header on the trail and uh, ended up breaking a breaking a rib or two. And we ended up going and locating him and and giving the coordinates to the fire department. Luckily, the trail that he was on was was a pretty easily traveled trail, and they actually got an ATV to him and was able to uh, get him out pretty quick. Nice. So than we would have been able to um, in that particular scenario. And then you got somebody yeah. else with broken legs on trails. Man, you guys are busy. Yeah. That's, you know what? Good for you guys. Like, I, I, it's this is another one of those. Um, actually, it was said not too long ago that somebody else's bad day is kind of our good day. And that's where we mm -hmm. get to go to work. And um, it's unfortunate that that happens. But you know what? For everybody else that's out there that, that could be listening, you know, you got us at, at, at sitting there waiting on call, ready to go. And uh, your bad day is 
don't you worry we're coming so freaking awesome you guys that's our, that's our bread and butter that's what yep. we're here for i love it i love it well i i mean like i said i'll keep going it, you know anything the floor is open for you guys um any discussion points out anything else you want to bring up really just you know like we talked about what we've noticed in our years of training and the few the few couple of hoists that we've done you know you always learn something you always thought oh, we could have done this better oh, i wish we should have done this we should have done that um the outcome's always the same so far knock on wood everybody everybody goes home at the end of the day and and, and we do our job and the patient gets the care that they need um but one of the biggest struggles that we find ourselves in the search and rescue realm is one uh, working uh, in tandem with our fire department, our rescue guys on the ground yeah. and getting the word out, letting everybody know. And because we're the only agency within the central Florida region that actually does hoist operations. So the surrounding counties that we work with, they don't even do bucket work, family bucket oh, work. Wow. They don't do the hoist rescue work. So, you know, Volusia County, which is part of Daytona beach, the speedway and, and that area. And then you've got Orlando, Orange County, which is universal, all the theme parks and all the attractions out there, they have areas where they have their recreational hikers, bikers, and and, and uh, trail riders and, and boaters and stuff. So we're trying to get the word out to them because their next option is to call the Coast Guard. And here in Florida, the way the Coast Guard is set up, they don't necessarily have a, a, a helicopter equipped per se for the land operations. You know, they do mostly the coastal waters and, and, yep. and waterways. And the closest... Um, Closest station for the Coast Guard is either Jacksonville, which is about a two hour, maybe two and a half hour drive from here, okay. um, you know, maybe a 45 minute flight or so. Yeah. And then the next station after that is Sarasota, Tampa area. And yeah. for them to come to us again, it's about a 45 to an hour flight, depending on how quickly they get the information and get the GPS and get to the, the scene. Right. So getting the word out to our surrounding agencies and letting them know, hey, this is a capability that we have. Here's here's something that we can offer you guys and uh, and work in tandem and make your job easier make your job safer uh make it more efficient and again that that golden hour that you know for the patient we want to make sure they get all the care they get as as quick as they can and as safely as they can and like i said just getting the word out letting those guys know hey this is what we've got give us a call hey nice hey so that's everybody that's listening in the, inside the orlando area or anybody that goes down to the orlando area boom you guys man you covered you got some good guys right there that are ready to come get you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Although Dan did say he's not wrestling a gator. So if you get in a wrestling match with a gator, Dan's not coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, my my gator, gator wrestling uh, skills aren't the uh, part. <laughs> that's all right. You know what? Send the medic down. But the rest of the part, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Funny. Of all of our rescues, like thing that we always uh keep saying it's like it's just like we're training again you know it's it wasn't any different it's just like one of our training scenarios yeah the training that we got from you guys the priority one go through the checklist go through the scenario do the practice runs uh, if time dictates you know do you just always revert back to training always yeah. revert back to training and if if something comes up that you know throws a monkey wrench in there you know we sit there and evaluate we talk it out we work through it come up with a solution together and it's, you know, you know, as long as we both agree on, on, on the change of the norm, yeah, we agree to it, we assess it, make sure it's a safe operation and then boom, we just we go for it. So, you know, we, we've noticed 
with a couple calls lately, we've been getting some nighttime requests and we haven't trained at night. So that's something that we've gotten with our our supervisor and said, hey, you know, we're starting to get calls because usually what ends up happening, somebody maybe works a half day, decides to go out on the the river or a bike trail in the evening time. And next thing you know, sun goes down. We, We haven't trained that way yet. So that's something, like I said, we've got with our supervisor and said, hey, maybe we should start looking into this, maybe get an outside uh, uh, training uh, company or agency or whatever, come in and give us some some training on night operations. Yeah, uh, great idea. They're starting to come up. They're starting to come up. So Yeah, and I, I will tell you just my own little piece of advice when you guys get to that point. Um, I, I do hope you get somebody come out that, that gives you some good advice. Um, if I can come out, I'll do it too. But uh, everything at night goes slower. So everything you do during the day, now turn it down by about two notches. Just everything goes slower at night. And have about 10 flashlights with you because like you said, Murphy's Law, <laughs> man, one of yes. them is going to go out and you're like, son of a, I need another one. Yeah. So, Well, one thing that we did with our new aircraft that we have, we ended up going with a different uh, searchlight uh, spotlight. Okay. And the nice thing about it, it has multiple filters. So when we start getting into some night rescue operations, yeah. we can throw some filters down so it's not so blinding for the, for the guys down on the ground. Nice. And also it'll, uh, it'll allow for them to have the light to assess the patient, do what they need to do down there. And, but also when they're coming back up the line, they're not getting blinded by, you know, a, a giant spotlight right at them. That's so, great. you know, things we're, we're already thinking ahead. We just haven't started that training yet, but we're thinking ahead of, okay, what, you know, this was a great idea that we went to this different spotlight. Yeah. So, cause now yeah. it has more, it has more um, options for us to use it for different scenarios. So that's definitely a, a forward thinking thought when we switched. Um, out of curiosity, does the light, are you able to slew the light forward, aft, left, right? Yes. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's an actual searchlight. So, oh, cool. um, excellent. Yeah, in, that, so in that case, yeah, have one more. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, say we just have the colored filters like built into it. So um, it's got like red, yellow, uh, an MVG filter, a uh, IR IR filter for it. Nice. So and then of course the white light. But yeah, it's it's a full 360 degree around, and I uh, believe it's a 110 degree down angle. So man, that's great. Well, then in that case, for you, Dan, I'll, I'll give you a little tip and trip when you're hoisting slew that out just a little bit to the left and just that way it's not directly down but it'll give you just enough light and then it doesn't totally blind us on the ground yay good deal <laughs> i'll tip and trick with that one that's good awesome. to know well guys I, I won't keep any more of your time thank you so much for for bringing these stories to us you guys are doing a phenomenal job out there in seminole county so um man thank you awesome much appreciated. Yeah. yeah so and with that ladies and gentlemen we are out. thank you for tuning in we hope you enjoyed this episode of the real rescue podcast please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me like and subscribe oh yeah i'm pulling chocks and taking off but before i go if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email, therealrescue at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook and Instagram page at The Real Rescue. That's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. 
I also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember that when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>